And however you prefer, open your Bibles or Bible apps to the book of Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. As we continue our series through the Word, looking for the Gospel and now how it affects our lives. Uh, before we uh, jump in, I just want to say thank you uh, to our church family here for your generosity. Uh, thanks to the committee for putting on everything last week. And, um, you know, I've been around enough churches to know that... Um, it's really not normal how you guys uh, show your appreciation, and I just want to say uh, thank you for uh, for everything, for the prayers, the the gifts, everything. Uh, I know uh, my family appreciates it. Uh, Kevin's does as well, and so um, thank you very much. Um, so Revelation, here we are again. It's our third week here. It can be overwhelming. It can be intimidating. It can be confusing. But what we've seen the last couple weeks, it's that's not the the purpose of Revelation. The purpose is to bless its readers. And we've seen Revelation is kind of the the program God has given to His people to see uh, the events that will happen uh, as the world ends the last days. We spent two weeks in chapter one where John, the beloved and exiled disciple, laid the foundation for the rest of the book. And he extensively described Jesus in at least 12 different ways. And church, I believe that even with all of that, we have barely scratched the surface of who Jesus is. Let's just kind of review um, his character, his power, and his awesomeness. Remember, it has been all about Jesus ever since time began. It's been all about Jesus. It is currently all about Jesus, and it will be all about Jesus. We saw he is the faithful witness. That means he has been watching everything that has happened in all of human history. And when he comes back, he will testify of the truth, and it will be his testimony that acquits or convicts every human soul. Now, for the believer, uh, he is our advocate. So we don't have to be afraid of, of that. We see that he stands by our side, he pleads our case before the righteous judge of the universe. And so rather than fear, we can worship him for what he has done and what he continues to do for us. We've also seen he is the firstborn from the dead. That doesn't mean that he was created, it means he is preeminent above everyone and everything. He is the only one who died, rose again, And never died again. He overcame death and now he holds the keys to death and hell. And so as the faithful witness and the firstborn from the dead, he has great power and he is of highest rank. We also saw that he is ruler over kings. And church, if he's not the king of your heart, make no mistake, whatever is will not satisfy, only Jesus will. And even in all of his, his awesome and supreme power and preeminence, God still took the time to describe Jesus as the one who has loved us. Yes, Jesus loves you. Despite your flaws, despite your shortcomings, Jesus has loved me. Despite my rebellion, despite how ugly my heart can be, Jesus loves us. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But he gives it. It's the free gift. He loves us anyway. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He has loved us and we saw he has loosed us from the power of sin. He has lifted us out of the pit when we were covered with filth with nothing to offer. No hope that anyone would ever save us. He now makes us Kings and priests to his God and Father, and he is coming. So last week we saw he is the Alpha and the Omega. 
um, the beginning and the end. So for us, we can say he is A to Z and everything in between. That means he is sufficient. That means he is timeless. That means he is eternal. We saw he is also almighty, a word that means that he holds sway over everything. What he says goes because he is Lord and ruler of all. And then we also saw he is the Son of Man, the only one with the power to defeat sin's curse and make everything right. Church, there is no one or no thing like him. And this is Jesus, and upon this foundation, John builds the rest of Revelation. God, through John, builds the rest of Revelation. And so, uh, in chapter 2, we see the first of seven letters to the churches in Asia Minor. And, and a few things to note before we uh, continue. Uh, the first blank on your outline. These churches were under great persecution. These churches were under great persecution. History tells us this persecution came under Emperor Domitian. Uh, this is known as the second great persecution, and there would be a third. Under Domitian, everything bad that happened was blamed on the Christians. If drought came, they blamed the Christians. If sickness came, they blamed the Christians. Even earthquakes were said to be caused by Christians. Uh, Domitian made this law uh, that no Christian, I quote, that no Christian once brought before the tribunal should be exempted from punishment without renouncing his religion. It was Emperor Domitian who had John, the writer of Revelation, boiled in a vat of oil. And when that didn't have any effect, some accounts say he did again. He had him boiled again, and when that didn't have any effect, he was exiled to the island of Patmos where he received this revelation. And so this is where, this is the culture that these churches were in. This is just some of what the gospel has endured throughout the years, which says a whole lot about its truth and its integrity and its power that it is still spreading and changing lives even today. So they were under great persecution. The second thing we need to to, uh, remember, note, is the number seven. We've talked about it a little bit before. Uh, John uses the image here, we will see, of seven lampstands and seven stars And we will see this number seven used throughout the book. So just a reminder, in the word, the number seven is the, is the number of completion. It's the number of completion. And so, uh, he writes to seven individual churches, but he is speaking to the complete church. And so that's you and me. It's as if he's writing to First Baptist Church in Potosi, Missouri. Now, when we take that just a step further, we realize this is just a building. We are blessed to have this beautiful facility here. But even if they outlawed us meeting here together, the church would continue to be the church because we are the church. The Holy Spirit now lives within us as believers. Our bodies are the temple. And so therefore, these letters were written to the complete church that also includes individuals in a church body as well. Now the challenge for us in these next few weeks is for us to see which one or ones describe us the best and how God is trying to speak to us through these letters. The next blanks on your outline. Uh, Let's look at the word lampstands. Lampstands. Revelation 120 tells us uh, lampstands equal churches. And so uh, in these seven different cities. So lampstands equal churches. Now think about a lampstand. A lampstand has a purpose. 
A lampstand does not illuminate, but a lampstand's job is to hold up the light that does illuminate. And if it's not holding up a light, it may as well just be a a coat rack in the corner, right? So a church has a purpose as well. Um, Individuals have a purpose as well, to hold up the light of Christ. John 12, 32 says, when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all men or people groups to himself. And so if a church is not lifting up the light of Jesus, we might as well just be another building, another club, or unbelievers. So seven lamps stand. There are also seven stars. Revelation again, one twenty tells us that these are the angels of the churches. The word angels, it means messengers. Okay, so think about this for just a little bit. If God wanted to write a book to his angels... He probably wouldn't go through he probably wouldn't go through a human author to do it, would he? Ashley, what did you do? Yeah, my goodness, she just needs mama, doesn't she? <laughs> okay, so angels. We're, we're, we're talking about angels and, and um, what they represent. They, it says they represent angels. stars equals angels. So consider this. If God wanted to write a book to his angels, he probably wouldn't go through a human author, would he? Um, This word of God is to his people. And that's why most scholars agree angels means messengers and it's actually written to the pastors of these churches. The pastors or leaders of these seven churches. Uh, Another reason for this argument is that um, the messengers are included in the rebuke that Jesus gives each church. Now a rebuke is a sharp disapproval because of sin. And we know that sinful angels were cast down with Satan... Those that remain do God's will, and so they don't need a rebuke. And so the angels means messengers, and it probably refers to the the leaders or the the pastors of these seven churches. Now, it is possible uh, that each church has an angel representing it, but I think a better case could be made uh, that more than one angel is watching over each church. You can check uh, 1 Corinthians 11.10. But most importantly, what we see in Revelation 1-2 excuse me, 2-1, is that Jesus is walking in the midst of these churches. Look at uh, verse, verse 2 again. Excuse me, verse 1. Uh, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Okay, so what were the lampstands again? Look at your notes. They're the churches, right? So Jesus walks among us even today. He's walking among the seven lampstands, which are the churches, and so Jesus is walking among us today. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst, he said. Jesus is walking right with you each day. If you are his child, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you are the church. And so I wonder if there's anything in our lives that we might do differently, knowing that Jesus is walking there right beside us. We've heard this before, but sometimes we need to be reminded. As each church is introduced in these seven letters, uh, John uses a description from chapter 1. Just in case any of us were going to forget who who this was all about. Uh, And most of these letters, they they follow a similar pattern. uh, He addresses who it's written to. He tells us uh, who Jesus is. There's a commendation for what they're doing well, if anything. 
There's a rebuke for what they're doing wrong, if anything. There's a plan, excuse me, there's a call to action and then a plan to move forward. And so today we see uh, the letter to the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus. Let's start once again. Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, let's just pause there for a moment. Throughout the word of God, uh, his right hand is used as, as a symbol of power and strength. And so we need to make sure that we know and trust his final victory here is not in question. The church's final victory, and even in the midst of persecution, it's not in question. The good news is Jesus wins. There's never a question of that. Let's continue. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and you have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But for this you have, that which you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who will overcome, I will give to eat of the, from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So what we see here with Ephesus, they were doing a whole lot of things right. Look at verse 2 once again. Uh, Jesus said to them, I know your works, I know your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So think of all these things that they're checking off the list. Uh, Kingdom work, they were doing it. Check. Labor or uh, the difficulty that that they faced in doing this work, they were doing it. Check. It says they had patience. Check. Theology. They tested those who said they were apostles and were not and found them to be liars. So, check. It says they were pure. Check. Perseverance. Check. At, a gl- at first glance, it really looks like Ephesians is passing with flying colors. They had the right programs. They had the right teaching. They had the right attitude. But they were missing one thing. Found right there in verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Uh, In your Bible, you may see the church of of Ephesus described as the loveless church or the careless church. Uh, Remember, these were written to the complete church as indicated by the number seven. And as as he addressed, he who has an ear, let him hear. I wonder if any among us would be described as loveless. Uh, First love. It's been described as the devotion to Christ that so often characterizes a new believer. Fervent, personal, uninhibited, excited, and openly displayed. So just look at that. The devotion to Christ that so often characterizes a new believer. Fervent, personal, uninhibited, excited, and openly displayed. When when that devotion overflows into everything else we're doing, that's when Jesus is honored. 
But what we see is the Ephesians were not motivated by love. They looked really good on the outside. Anyone living in the town of, of Ephesus probably thought, well, now that church is doing something. But their hearts were distracted. They were just going through the, mo- the motions. The next blank on your outline. Apparently, what we do for the Lord is important. But why we do it is most important. What we do for the Lord is important, but why we do it is most important. See, these, these believers were in a spiritual rut. The uh, honeymoon was over, so to speak. And If we apply it to First Baptist, I mean, could the Lord ever say uh, that we have all these good programs, Upward and Kids Club and Church on Wednesday and, and Church Camp and Taste of Christmas and GMAs and CR and Overflow, and, and the list continues to go on and on and on. But this I have against you, you have left your first love. We see kingdom work, labor, Patience, theology, purity, perseverance are no substitutes for love. There are no substitutes for love. And I don't think that God is saying the programs are bad. But if we're only doing all these programs and only serving in these programs because that's just what we're supposed to do and there's no passion behind it, we could be the loveless church. You could be the loveless church. Think about this. Why do we do what we do here? Why why do we ask for volunteers and and give opportunities to serve? Well, I can sure tell you that it's not to build Pastor Jim's kingdom. It's not to build Pastor Kevin's kingdom. It's not to build even the kingdom of First Baptist. It's not even to build the kingdom that you live in, your kingdom. It's to build the kingdom of God. By lifting up the light of Christ to this community in Potosi. So that the lost and dying will become found and alive. This is the reason we serve with passion. And so the question becomes, how do you think the Ephesian church got there? How do they get stuck in a rut so deep? Well, think about this. How does it happen in a marriage? What causes the honeymoon to be over in a marriage. Uh, many times it's just busyness. You know, you think about it, a couple's together 24-7 on the honeymoon, and, and maybe even the weeks that follow, but eventually reality sets in, they go to their different jobs, the newness continues for a while, but then it eventually wears off. And they become disconnected if they don't make staying, staying connected priority. I've talked to several couples, after they're married 25 years plus, they toss around going their separate ways, Because they've grown so far apart and and the disconnection that started so many years ago has created a gap so wide they wonder if there's ever any hope that it will ever be mended. That's the same thing that happens in our Christian walk. When we first come to Christ, it's it's new. We know what to do and we're we're glad to do it. It's, It's the basics. Prayer, Bible reading, worship attendance. And it is exciting for a while, but then the newness wears off and life gets busy and pretty soon we get disconnected from Jesus. And then serving becomes more of a chore than a joy. He once seemed so close, but now he seems so distant. Uh, And then we might even wonder if we ever knew him in the first place. And so we serve because that's what a good Christian is supposed to do. But there's no passion behind it. We get stuck in a rut. Our spiritual lives are stale. We have become the loveless church. 
It can happen to any of us. It can happen to your pastor. And if that's you here this morning, there are some instructions to get back. Notice what they are. First it says, remember. Um, Verse 5, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Who were you before you met Jesus? Do you remember? We sang these words this morning. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The, The breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, he held me in his sight. So he made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside and there at the cross. He paid the debt I owe, broke my chains, freed my soul. For the first time, I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. See, church, we easily forget how hopeless we were when Jesus found us. We easily take for granted the life that He has given us. We have been made new. We are not the same anymore. And we desperately need to remember the great things He has done for us. Remember is the first step. The second step is repent. The second step to get back to our first love is repent. Verse 5 again. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent. It means to do a a 180, a a complete U-turn. You're going in one direction and you turn around and you go the opposite way. And, And in this context we could also add confess. Acknowledge in your heart that it has been stale Identify the steps that, you, that you've taken to, to put such, such a distance between you and, and God. Your heart and God's heart. Seek forgiveness from the merciful God of the universe for the sin in your life. And then turn away from that sin. That's what repent means. Some of us need to repent. The third thing is return. Remember, repent, and return. Verse 5 again, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. First works, the basics. Prayer, Bible reading, worship attendance. The the, the things that once had such great priority but have now taken a back seat. Uh, and, And we don't do these things just because that's what a good Christian is supposed to do. We don't do these things to earn our salvation but because of our salvation. And because these basic principles, they reconnect us with the Jesus who took us from who we once were to who we are now. And they are completely opposite. And because all He has done for us, now there is a desire in our hearts to know Him better. Remember, repent, and return. These are the the steps to getting back to our first love. Even when life hits so hard and we get so distracted that it doesn't feel like it's doing any good. Remember, we don't go by what we feel. We stand on what we know. We have to remember, repent, and return. Even when we find ourselves so far down the road, we don't know how we can ever get back. Remember, repent, and return. Even if God didn't answer my last prayer like I wanted Him to, and that's why I walked away from Him, we still have to remember Repent and return. These are the steps to getting back to our first love. 
And it may mean that some of us have to make some drastic changes in our lives. We may have to forsake some things that have stolen our hearts away from God. But there is a warning for the church when we will not remember, repent, and return. Continue in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. So remember, repent, and return, or be removed. Uh, church, we could get on a plane today, and we could, be, we, could, we could fly to the place where the church of Ephesus was so many years ago. Uh, this is what it looks like now. It's, it's just, it's, it's in ruins. It's desolate. What once was a thriving body of believers, it died in the second century, not too long after this was written. Did they not listen to the warning? See, when God says, I will remove your lampstand unless you repent, it doesn't mean that these believers lost their salvation because nothing I can do can earn my salvation and nothing I can do can lose my salvation because my salvation does not depend upon me. But it does mean that Jesus removed his, his, his light from their lampstand. They didn't have a light to hold up anymore. They had become a coat rack in the corner and this is where they ended up. History tells us that the Goths came in and destroyed Ephesus in 262 A.D. So what if we could look 200 years, 300 years into the future at this site right here? Where will First Baptist Church of Potosi be? Right now we are 189, 190 years old. And we can't say for sure where we'll be in another 190. But we can sure lay the foundation for those who come behind us. To remember, repent, and return to our first love. That's the devotion to Christ. That so often characterizes a new believer. Fervent, personal, uninhibited, excited, and openly displayed. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we go into a time of invitation? What has God said to your heart through his word? And what are you going to do about it? To the book of Revelation as we continue our series there. Uh, So if it's been a while since you've been with us, we are uh, coming to the end of a series we called 2020. And of course, uh, it used to mean good vision. And so in it, we are looking for good spiritual vision. We started at Genesis and we're looking for the, the one scarlet thread of the gospel throughout uh, so we are in the home stretch, and um, here we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, before we go any further, I do want to say this. Uh, thank you so much for uh, the generosity. Um, you know, last, last month was Pastor Appreci- Appreciation, excuse me, and um, 
man, you guys are, are, are generous, and we thank you for the prayers and the gifts and, and everything. I've been to uh, enough churches to know that uh, it's really not normal. And, uh, we do appreciate, you know, uh, I speak on Kevin's family as well, uh, appreciate your generosity. Uh, so, Revelation, am I clicking? Is that me? Nope. Revelation can be... Okay. One second. <clears throat> it can be rather intimidating, you know. Um, it's, uh, it's been confusing, it's been terrifying in the past, uh, but that, we've seen, that's not the intent of the book of Revelation. The purpose is to bless its readers. Uh, Revelation is kind of the program that God has handed its people so that we can know the events for the end of time. I mean, you think about it when you go to a kid's program, how many kids or, or grandkids program at school? They hand you this, this piece of paper to tell you the order of events, and that's kind of what Revelation is for God's people, uh, for the last days. We spent two weeks in chapter one where John the Beloved, an exiled disciple, laid the foundation for the rest of the book, extensively describing Jesus in at least 12 different ways is what I've counted. And, and church, even with that, um, we have not even scratched the surface of who Jesus is, his character, his power, and his awesomeness. It has been, ever since time began, it has been all about Jesus. It is currently all about Jesus, and it will be all about Jesus. We have seen that he is the faithful witness. Uh, that means he's been watching everything since, since human history began, even before that. And when he comes back, he will testify of the truth, and his testimony will convict or acquit every human soul. Now, for the believer, we don't have to live in fear of that because in other, other places in Scripture, he is described as our advocate. He stands by our side. He pleads our case before the righteous judge of the universe. And so rather than fear, we can live lives of worship. We also saw that he's called the firstborn from the dead. And that doesn't mean that he was created. It means that he is preeminent above everyone and everything else. He is the only one who died, rose again, never to die again. He overcame death, and he now holds the keys to death and hell. And so as the faithful witness and the firstborn from the dead, we see Jesus has gr uh, great power, and he is of highest rank. We also see that he is the ruler of kings. And church, if he's not the king of your heart, whatever is will not satisfy. Only Jesus will. And even in all of his supremeness, even in all these descriptions, his power and preeminence, I'm thankful that God still took the time to describe Jesus as the one who has loved us. Yes, Jesus loves you. Despite your flaws, despite your shortcomings, Jesus has loved me. Despite my sin, despite my rebellion, despite how ugly I know my heart can be, Jesus still loves us. We cannot earn it. We do not deserve it. But that is his free gift. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He has loved us. We also saw that means he has loosed us from the power of sin. He, he's lifted us out of the pit when we were covered in filth with nothing to offer and no hope that ever, anyone could ever come and save us. He now makes us kings and priests to his God and Father. And he is coming. 
Last week we saw that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and everything in between. We could say he's the A to Z and everything in between, and that means he is sufficient, he is timeless, and he is eternal. He's also described as almighty, a word that means he holds sway over everything. What, what he says goes because he is ruler over all. And he's also described as the son of man, the only one with the power to defeat sin's curse and make things right. There is no one and no thing like him. And this is Jesus. And this is the foundation that John, that God through John, builds the book of Revelation. Today we turn to page chapter 2, where we see the first of seven letters to the churches in Asia Minor. And so a few things on your notes, on your outline there, before we get into the text. Uh, these were written to Christians under great persecution. These seven letters were written to Christians under great persecution. History tells us that this persecution came from the emperor Domitian. And this is known as the second great persecution, and there would be a third. Under Domitian, everything bad that happened was blamed on Christians. If drought came, they blamed the Christians. If sickness came, they blamed the Christians. It's said that even earthquakes were blamed on the Christians. Domitian made this law, I quote, uh, that no Christian once brought before the tribunal should be exempted from punishment without renouncing his religion in full. It was under Emperor Domitian that John, the writer of Revelation, was boiled in a vat of oil. When that had no effect on him, some accounts say that they tried again, and when that didn't work, he was exiled to Patmos, where he received this revelation. This is the culture these churches were in. This is just some of what the gospel has endured throughout the years, which says a whole lot about its truth and integrity and power that it is still spreading and changing lives today. So they were under great persecution. Second, we need to note the number seven. The number seven. John uses the image of seven lampstands and seven stars. We will see the number seven throughout the book. And so just a reminder, we've seen it before, but seven is the number of completion. Seven equals completion. So he writes to seven individual churches, but he is speaking to the complete church. Churches everywhere. And so that's you and me. It's as if he's writing to First Baptist Church in Tecosa, Missouri. Now, when we take that a step further, we know this is just a building. We are blessed to have a wonderful, beautiful facility here. But even if they outlawed us being here and they closed our doors, the church would continue to be the church because we are the church. This is scripture that the Holy Spirit now lives inside us as believers. And so our bodies are the temple. Therefore, these letters were written to the complete church that includes individuals within a, a church body as well. And the challenge for us over the next few weeks as we look at these letters is to see which one or ones describe us and how God is speaking through his, his letters. Uh, the next blank on your outline is lampstands. Lampstands equal churches. Uh, Revelation 1.20, it tells us that. Um, seven different cities, seven different churches. Now, think about a lampstand. It has a purpose. The lampstand itself does not light up. The lampstand was, was designed to hold up the light that illuminates. And if it's not holding up the light, then it may as well just be a, a coat rack in the corner. 
church has a purpose as well. Individuals have a purpose as well. To hold up the light of Christ. John 12, 32 tells us when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all men or people groups to himself. And so if a church isn't lifting up the light of Jesus, we may as well just be another club or building or unbelievers. Next blank on your outline. Seven stars. The seven stars are angels. Revelation 1.20 tells us that. The angels of the church. Now, let's look at that word angels. Uh, because it means messengers. It means messengers. And, and, and think about this. If God wanted to write a book to his angels, he probably wouldn't go to a human author like John. Would he? It, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, this word of God is to his people. And that's why most scholars agree that the angels means messengers here, and it's speaking to the pastors or leaders of these seven churches. Now, another reason for that belief is that the messengers are included in the rebuke that Jesus gives each church. Now, a rebuke is a, a sharp disapproval because of sin. And we know that sinful angels were cast down with Satan. And those that remain do God's will. They don't need rebuke. So angels likely means messengers and refers to the leaders of the churches. Now, it is possible that each church has an angel representing them, but I think a better case could be made that more than one angel is watching. You can check uh, 1 Corinthians 11.10 for that. And most importantly, look at Revelation 2.1, because it tells us that Jesus is walking among these churches. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who holds in the midst of the seven who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Okay, so look on your notes. What are lampstands? They're the churches. So Jesus is walking among the churches. Jesus is walking among us. Two or three are gathered. There I am in the midst. So Jesus is walking right with you each day. If you are his child, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the church. anything in our lives, knowing that Jesus is walking right with us each day. As each church is introduced, John uses a description from chapter 1, just in case we forgot who this is all about. And most of these letters, they'll follow a similar pattern. They address who it's written to. It tells who Jesus is. There's a commendation for what they're doing right, if anything. There is a rebuke for what they're doing wrong, if anything. There's a call to action and a plan to move forward. And so today we see to the church at Ephesus. Next blank on your outline. Pick it up in verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now let's take another little pause right there. Because throughout the word of God, his right hand is used as a symbol of power and strength. And so we need to make sure and know and trust his final victory is not in question here. Even these churches in the midst of persecution, we can, we can trust. They can trust. We can trust. Jesus wins in the end. The church wins in the end because it doesn't depend on us or anybody outside these walls. It depends upon Jesus. He says to them, I know your works, your labor, your patience. 
and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored, labored for my name's sake. Do not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We'll back it up to verse 2 there, because Ephesus is doing, the church here at Ephesus is doing a lot of things well. He said, I, I know your works, I know your labor, your patience, you cannot bear those who are evil, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, you found them to be false, persevere with patience, you've labored for my name's sake, and you've not even become weary. So think about all this stuff in the church of Ephesus. Kingdom work, they were doing it, check labor or the difficulty in doing all this work, they were overcoming. Check. Patience. Check. Theology. Check. They had tested those who claimed to be apostles and, and found that they were false. Purity. Check. Perseverance. Check. At a glance, it looks like the church of Ephesus is passing with flying colors. They had the program. They had the right teaching. They had the right attitude, but they were missing Verse 4, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. In your Bible, in the headings, there's a heading for each of these, uh, these churches, these letters likely. And, and this one's known as the loveless church. Sometimes it's called the careless church. And remember, these are written to the complete church, indicated by the number 7 there. And then he says, uh, he who has an ear, let him hear. I wonder if there are any among us who would be described as loveless. Look at this definition for first love. It's been described as the devotion to Christ that so often characterizes a new believer. Fervent, personal, uninhibited, excited, and openly displayed. So devotion to Christ often characterized by a new believer, fervent, personal, uninhibited, excited, and openly displayed. And, and when this type of devotion to Christ overflows in everything we're doing, that's when Jesus is honored. You see, the Ephesians were not motivated by love. They looked nice and busy on the outside. Uh, anyone living in the town of Ephesus probably thought, well, that church, they're doing something. But their hearts were distracted, and they were just going through the motions. That's one thing to outline there. What we do for the Lord is important, but why we do it is most important. What we do for the Lord is important, but why we do it is most important. These believers were in a spiritual rut. The honeymoon was over, so to speak. As we apply it to First Baptist, could the Lord ever say, okay, church, we have all these good programs Upward Kids Club, Church on Wednesday, Church Camp, Taste of Christmas, GMA, GR, Overflow, Men's Group, and the list continues to go on and on and on. But this I have against you, you have left your first love. We see here kingdom work, labor, patience, theology, purity, perseverance, 
no substitutes for love. There are no substitutes for love. And I don't think God is, is saying that he's against programs. I'm not saying the programs are bad. But if we only do these programs, we're only serving in these programs just because that's what a good Christian is supposed to do. There's no passion behind it. We could be the loveless church. You could be the loveless church. Why do we do what we do here? Why do we ask for volunteers and give opportunities for service? I can tell you that it's not to build Pastor Jim's kingdom. It's not to build Pastor Kevin's kingdom. It's actually not to even build your kingdom or the kingdom of First Baptist. It is to build the kingdom of God by lifting up Jesus Christ to the community of Potosi so that the lost and dying will become found and alive. This is why we serve with passion. The question becomes, how did the Ephesian church get there? How did they get stuck in a rut so deep? Well, think about it like this. How does it happen in a marriage? What causes the honeymoon to be over, so to speak? Many times, it's busyness. You know, a, a couple is together 24-7 on their honeymoon, maybe even the weeks that follow, but eventually life sets in. They go to their different jobs. The, the newness continues for a while, but then it wears off and they become disconnected if they don't make staying connected a priority. I've talked to several couples. After they were married 25-plus years, they toss around going separate ways because they've grown so far apart. And the disconnection that started so many years ago created such a gap, they've lost any hope that it will ever be made up. That's the same thing that happens in our Christian walk. When we first come to know Christ, it's, it's new. We know what to do, and we're glad to do it. It's, it's the basics, prayer, Bible reading, worship attendance, and it's exciting for a while, but then the newness wears off, and we get busy with life, and pretty soon we're disconnected with Jesus. Serving Him is more of a chore than a joy. He once seemed so close, and now he seems so distant. And we might even wonder, did we ever know him in the first place? So we, we serve because that's what a good Christian is supposed to do, but there's no passion behind it. We get stuck in a rut. Our spiritual lives are stale. We have become the loveless church, and it can happen to anybody. It can happen to your pastor. I ask you this morning. Notice the instructions to getting back. First, we're told to remember. Verse 5, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Who were you before you met Jesus? Do you remember that? I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated the breach was far too wide, but from the far side of the cross, he had me in his arms. And he made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, he paid the debt I owe, broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of Calvary. Church, we, we easily forget how hopeless we were when Jesus found us. We easily take for granted all that he's given us. 
Church, we have been made new. We are not the same anymore. We desperately need to remember the great things he has done for us and continues to do for us. Second step to getting back to our first love is to repent. Verse 5 again, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent. If you're familiar with that word, it means to do a, a 180, a complete U-turn. If you're going in one direction, you turn around and you go the opposite way. In this context, we could say it, it comes with confessing. Acknowledge your stale heart as sin and identify the steps that you took to get there. That put such distance between your heart and God. Seek forgiveness from the merciful God of the universe for the sin in your life. And then turn away from that sin. Remember, repent, and thirdly, repent. Remember, therefore, verse 5 again, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. The first works, the basics, prayer. Bible reading, worship attendance, the ones that, that once had a priority but now have taken a back seat. Not because we don't do these things just because that's what a good Christian is supposed to do. We don't do these things to earn our salvation. We do these things because of our salvation and because they reconnect us with Jesus who took us from where we were to where we are. And because there is a desire in our hearts to grow closer to him and love him better. Remember Repent and return. These are the steps to getting back to our first love. Even when life has hit us so hard and we get distracted and it doesn't feel like it's doing anything, remember, repent, and return. Even when we find ourselves so far down the road, we don't know that there's any hope that we could ever get back. Remember, repent, and return. Even if God didn't answer my last prayer like I wanted him to. And that's why I walked away from him. Remember, repent, and return. These are the steps to getting back our first love. And it may mean that some of us need to make some drastic changes in our lives. We may need to forsake some things that have stolen our hearts away from God. Church, there's a, there's a warning for those of us who will not remember, repent, and return. Verse 5, once again, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come and quickly remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. So remember, repent, return, or be removed. Be removed. Now, church, we could get on a plane today and go to the place where this church of Ephesians, of Ephesus was. This is what it looks like. It's just, it's in ruins. It's, it's desolate. What was once this thriving body of believers rested and died in the second century. Did they not listen to the warning? When, when God says, I will remove your lampstand unless you repent, it doesn't mean that these believers lost their salvation. Nothing we can do can lose our salvation, just like nothing we can do can earn our salvation because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on Jesus. But it does mean that Jesus removed his light, his, his presence from them. They didn't have that light to hold up anymore. And they just became, rather than a lampstand, they became a coat rack in the corner. And this is where they ended up. Just because of the goth destroyed Ephesus in 262 A.D. 
So currently First Baptist is about 189, maybe we could look, 189 more years into the future. We have no idea where this building will be, where this body of believers will continue to go. We just can't say for sure. But we can lay the foundation for those who come after us who will remember, repent, and return home to our first love. That devotion to Christ is so often characterized as a new believer, fervent, personal, uninhibited, excited, and openly joyful. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes as we go into a time of invitation? What has God said to you through his word? What is he asking you to do? When, when you hear that description of, of loveless, does it describe you? You're in a spiritual rut. Your, your spiritual life has just grown stale. Have you forgotten where you were? Do you need to remember where Jesus has brought you from? When you hear that word repent, is there anything in your life when you hear that word that, that you know God's talking to you about that? You need to turn from that. You need to return to the first work, the basics. Not to earn your salvation, but because of your salvation. Prayer, Bible reading, worship attendance taking priority in your life. These basics, they're, they're what, what uh, starts and continues the sanctification process. But you need to get back to it. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this book of Revelation and how it does. It speaks to our hearts even so many years later. Lord, if there are any among us who have never come, may today be the day of salvation. And for those of us who are have known you for any amount of time, help us to return to our first love. Lord, may we be the length bearer that you want us to be. Jesus, we need you, and we love you. 